Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the fifth episode of the second season of Yellow Jackets, an episode called Two Truths and a Lie. Just a reminder also that we will be continuing to discuss Succession, Sona and I covering that, and Barry as well, two HBO shows that are both in their final season. And we'll wrap up on that very same day. I'll be announcing what shows we'll be covering in June. These series all wrap up late in May, and we have some new shows that we'll be announcing soon for June, plus many, many shows between now and the end of May. This is just going to be absolutely packed. This is the Emmy consideration window coming to a close, and shows have to be finished broadcasting by the end of May. So there's a lot of shows that are dropping all of their episodes all at once. Or <laughs> for example, Mrs. Davis just opened this week, which I have many things to say about, but probably in a different episode. And they dropped four episodes on week one and then four more episodes so that they'll all be wrapped up <laughs> before the end of May. So it's uh, just a packed. And seasons that are ongoing right now, for example, The Big Door Prize and Ted Lasso also wrapping up by the end of May once again so that they'll be qualified for Emmys. So many, many shows wrapping up, many shows starting and ending within just weeks of each other. Subscribe if you want to follow along and watch some of these this content or just look for recommendations for things to watch when you have this onslaught of material. If you'd like to support us, please do recommend us to your friends and family. That's the primary way that we've grown our audience. And give us a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any of your podcatchers of choice if you'd like to help us find new listeners. Okay, Sona, before we get into this new episode, I've been recently liking to kick off these episodes by doing a little internet sleuthing. I mean, we usually record these episodes within like an hour of watching the shows. We don't really get time <laughs> yeah. to process this stuff. True. So I did want to touch on a few things from last week. First of all, I'd like to call out that the Reddit boards are calling Ben, Ben Appetit. <laughs> oh, it's rough. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Although we'll get to at the end of this episode, we now have a new, someone has cut to the front of the line of being the next uh, person to be eaten on the show. Another thing I wanted to bring up that I did not observe this, but it was something that was mentioned in another podcast I was listening to. So I rewatched this moment. When Jeff and Shauna are speaking at the end of last week, there's that moment where Jeff is talking about how we have to protect our daughter. Like we can't just drag her into this situation. After all, she's our only child. And to Melanie Linsky's credit, there's this look of anguish on her face, just momentarily mm. just flashes on her face for a second. But it did make me think, very interesting, of course, that they do indeed have another child together. And we don't know the fate of that child, but they did mm -hmm. indeed have another child. And apparently, Jeff did not know about this. I mean, that's how I'm reading that scene anyway. Interesting. Because there probably would be a question if the child had survived and was given to adoption when they came back home. Right. Or if something happened to the child, but she had told Jeff about it, seems like Jeff does not know. Mm. Another follow-up we have seen multiple times now. We had the stag, which got lost in the ice. I guess it's actually a moose, not a stag. And of course, we have Natalie having this vision of a stag, whether it's the same one or whether it's just a hallucination at that point. But importantly, in multiple cultures, I think in Viking culture and also in Native American culture, a white stag is considered an omen of good luck. This is not a brown moose. It's a white moose. They're trying to tell us something here. Oh, I, it, very interesting to know. Okay, last thing. Here's where I think this is the most fun one here. At the very, very end of last episode, we see Ty shows up at the Be Kind Rewind. That's called, what's it called again? While you were streaming. <laughs> Be, kind, Be Kind Rewind <laughs> is another, is a different movie. <laughs> 
the movies on the board. Train spotting, I remember. Yes. Well, let's get to that one last because it's a little harder to interpret. First of all, Bound. So Bound is a movie oh, okay. made by the Wachowskis before they made The Matrix, actually. The Wachowski siblings, actually, they both transitioned since they made the, the Matrix films. Their first film was Bound. And Bound is a modern film noir, a uh, very sexy movie, by the way. It is. Very. Oh, you've seen it. Okay. I, I, I have. Film noir, very entertaining film, by the way, if no one's seen it. But very importantly, it's, of course, probably a very formative, very formative uh, film for probably young lesbians of that time, which, of course, Van and mm -hmm. and Thaisa both are. Part one. Part two, bound, right? She binds her up at night. She ties her up, right? So I think that mm -hmm. there's definitely a pun and, of course, the lesbianism both there. Also, Mean Girls, which, of course, these girls are mean girls. And we mentioned this, I think so, and I think you mentioned this in a previous episode. When you had the Mean Girls in school, previously to Mean Girls, everyone would call them the Heathers, right, from our generation mm -hmm. of watching Heathers. Mm -hmm. And now they call them, lead girl was the Queen Bee from Mean Girls, mm -hmm. right? So there we go, the Queen Bee. We know the bees are a symbol here on this show as well. Okay, more puns here. Varsity Blues, right? These are the varsity soccer team, which, of course, are depressed for being right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a downer <laughs> it is a blue a very blue downer and i'm pretty sure footloose is a pun yes. on the fact that you know ben has lost his foot <laughs> oh boy one more into the wild where we have this story of uh, you know based on true story that film about disappearing into the woods and of course not surviving and we know that the girls are a into the wild and b some of them are not going to survive okay here's where it gets a little iffy. Wayne's World. Wayne's World? What does this have to do with anything that's going on in the show? I've seen Wayne's World and I saw it in the theater, but I can't really... I mean, I know it was based on the SNL characters and Wayne and Garth, blah, blah. I don't really remember the plot of the movie, though. My read on this, honestly, because these are just basically puns, each one of these, is that there's going to be some character, maybe this character in the Lodge of the Dead character, or maybe a living character out there. We may have other survivors. And maybe there's a character called Wayne. And this is a spoiler for something that is to come. But I do want to draw attention to this because the speculation on the internet has been absolutely crazy. Like people are saying, because it has that Scooby-Doo ending, like this show is going to have a Scooby-Doo ending. Uh, mm. or even better is that, she, that Wayne in that movie is pursuing this girl, uh, Tia Carrera, I believe. And uh, her name is Cassandra. And of course, Cassandra in mythology had visions. So now it's like, you know, they're saying this is some kind of reference to pursuing this woman who has visions, who is Lottie. And I think that's probably overreading it. I think this is A probably stretch. just like someone will be called Wayne at some point and they'll find his cabin in the future. I think that's what's going to happen. They'll find Wayne's world. That would certainly clarify it. Lastly is train spotting. Of course, we have addiction, which we know some of the characters have addiction problems here in the show. But more disturbingly, of course, Train Spotting has a very memorable scene with a dead baby, which is neglected and dies. And a lot of people are thinking that that might be the fate of Shauna's baby. I've never seen Train Spotting. Oh, really? You never did? No, I never did because I heard parts of it were quite graphic. And I, before having a child, I was much more of a delicate flower as to what I could stomach and what I couldn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you know what I mean, as far as that scene yes. that I'm thinking I've heard referenced. Oh, a couple um, of them. A couple of them. <laughs> yeah. So so I never actually saw it, but that's very, very interesting. I actually felt, and I'm not trying to jump ahead, but this episode gave me, I, I know it doesn't fit with the time period theme, but Rosemary's Baby type vibes. 
Oh, well, I got something to tell you, Sona. <laughs> Let me pull it up here. Is Reddit already on this? <laughs> oh, yes. Reddit is already on this. Sona, it's not only the signs on the board behind Van. There are movie posters as well. When Thaisa walks in, what's the movie poster directly behind her? Rosemary's Baby. I didn't pick up on that. There's other ones like they have like Flash Dance, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I think those are, you know, just generationally correct. Right. I mean, it's interesting that that one is not the same time period as right. the others, exactly. right? I, I think Rosemary's Baby is probably from the 60s. 70s. Late 60s. Mm-hmm. Late 60s. Yeah. So significant difference. And speaking of the video cassettes as well that are prominently like when you, we cut the Thaisa that you see the actual titles right behind her. One of them, It's a Wonderful Life, which of course probably has thematic overlap with the show as well. Like kind of, it's actually a very dark film, first of all, not the comedy that people kind of expect it to be considering they think it's a Christmas movie. And also it's about like kind of reflecting on what could have been, which we see like, for example, Ben is doing here, but also other characters have this as well. And there's other crazy speculation out here, but I do want to call one that I think is really interesting, which is one of the last ones that we see when they see Van is The Fisher King. And if you've never seen that film, the Jeff Bridges character there is a DJ who has a cult following and one of his crazy followers goes and commits an act of violence and he basically disappears from the public eye and starts working in a VHS rental shop and then kind of redeems himself in the course of that movie by helping Robin Williams, mentally unstable, (laughs) confronting his past and then kind of coming to terms with it. So I think once again, the filmmakers here on the show are wearing all of their influences right on their sleeves here. Hmm. There's probably more, but I'm not going to go. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, this, I mean, the whole um, video store thing is like a goldmine of ways yeah, exactly. to place little um, Easter eggs. Yes. That's all my housekeeping, I think, <laughs> for now. This, this is, although this is a show that you could probably just go down many, many rabbit holes. I'm trying I to think. keep, try to keep to as few as, of them as possible here. Okay, we open and we see. Van, I love her at home with her rewinder. Remember that? They had the rewinder VHS tapes to the beginning. Van has like fully committed to just living in this era. Absolutely. I feel yes. like um, with the four non-blonde song, right? What's going <laughs> yep, exactly. on? And What's going there on? was a Sony Wega TV, which <laughs> I yes. had one of those. And I believe it's one of the heaviest TVs ever manufactured. I think my husband almost had a hernia the day we moved and he tried to <laughs> carry it on his own because I am useless as far as upper body strength. Yeah, it feels like she's just kind of picked her era and settled into it. As many people do, by the way. So, <laughs> but she's really, really, it's committed. really committed. Yes. <laughs> and of course, it's a meaningful era in the context of this show. Absolutely. And also, I think it's symbolic of the fact that these girls are all probably trapped in the past. She just most overtly just embraced it. Yeah. You know, there's this whole um, psychological theory, too. I'm not sure how sound it is, but that in some way, when you experience some sort of trauma as a child, you become stuck at that age in certain ways, right? So, I mean, it makes sense. One more thing you see there in those little snippets of how she's been living her life. We notice that there's a lot of unpaid bills (laughs) among her bills. So having a VHS rental service, probably not the best business to be in (laughs) at this time. Shocker. (laughs) (laughs) Although she's converting people's tapes to digital, which I find that is a pretty useful service to have. Considering you have all the equipment around, you can pretty easily do a a digital conversion. 
It is useful. I mean, the one thing that I was wondering is like, I mean, the difference in quality is so noticeable between VHS and what we have now that it's kind of like, I understand wanting to watch old movies. Plenty of people like to watch old movies, but who has been missing that inferior quality? And by the way, that's why you have to keep those old TVs around. If you've ever had the experience of plugging in your VCR to like a 4K TV, and I have not done that, by the way, but I have tried to attach it to like just a high def standard, one you know, 1,000 lines of resolution, feed the VCR through that television. You start seeing it pixelate on the screen. It looks very bad because of the low resolution. I, I can't even imagine what that looks like when all your TVs are 4K TVs. It would look absolutely horrible, yeah. like muddy. I didn't know that, terrible. but it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible, <laughs> terrible. But you know, on a, on the old TVs, probably still looks like hey, you like once again, it's like listening to something on cassette, right? It sounds worse than it does digitally, but it does sound like what you remember it sounding like when you were kids. True. So once again, you're replicating the experience of the past. All right, in the past, positive signs here, right at the beginning, there's a thaw. We see the ice melting. Not in time to save one of our girls, though. Ty has been meditating with. Lottie in the mornings with the rest of the girls and she stopped sleepwalking. So maybe there is some, I mean, maybe just the meditation on its own is having an effect, but maybe there is something else going on here as well. It might've been this, she was going to see those symbols. So she finally found the last symbol and they found mm. Javi. So maybe the mission accomplished. Kind maybe of, and that's, why that, that's what was compelling her. That's possible. Then that, if that was the case, then the eyeless man would almost be a, could be a benevolent force if you read it that way. Although mm-hmm. considering it drove uh, her ex-wife into traffic <laughs> and T-boned her, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I've kind of mixed signals there. I like when they're actually doing the meditation and they start saying, what does a wind sound like? What do you hear? And Misty and Crystal, they both say at the exact same time, sounds like a whisper. <laughs> <laughs> Lottie mentions a new life is coming, coming very soon apparently. And Sean, of course, the one who's carrying that new life is on the outside, like almost exclusively the only one. I guess we also see that Javi obviously is inside and Ben. So is that it? Is it just Ben, Javi, and Sean at this point who's not participating in this morning ritual? Natalie? Oh, yes, Natalie, of course. Yeah. That's all that's coming to mind at the moment. I think there are some other nameless girls, right? But but the vast majority, I think, are participating at this point. Sean is not happy about this whole circumstance, of course. She feels betrayed by even some of the people who were supposedly loyal to her before, or like were on the same side of this whole Lottie situation. And she, making it even worse, is when she's sleeping at one point and Lottie is there talking to the baby in utero, you're going to change everything. Yeah. I mean, like I said, big Rosemary's baby. Yes. Mm -hmm. Our cult is here to steal your baby. That is the devil incarnate. Sorry, spoiler alert on Rosemary's baby. 55-year-old movie. (laughs) Have that feeling of there's some subtle conspiracy about the importance of this baby and how this baby means so much to them. and. Very creepy. Well done, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, always, I think whenever there's like a baby in danger, it's always, you know, very squeamish <laughs> inducing. Mm. Some funny things here happen. I like how Avi, Javi refuses to speak to anybody. And uh, some of the girls are speculating that maybe he's just a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> they just want to ask, where was he? And of course, he will not say anything. Travis is cold to Natalie when she's trying to get him to talk. And of course, he suspects and overtly tells her later on, admits like she did it because she was trying to help him. She thought that Javi was dead. 
I know you had qualms about her making this decision in the first place. I mean, it made sense to me. It's what I would expect to happen. And I do like that she owned it and didn't try and make up a story about how that wasn't what happened. This to me was the natural consequence of, I mean, assuming that he is was alive when, when she did it, it was very foreseeable they'd be in this position. She would have gone away with it. It wasn't for the fact that Javi <laughs> wasn't dead. <laughs> Misty and Crystal, so cute here early in the episode. It's all going to go very badly. <laughs> I like that early conversation where they're saying, what three people would you invite to dinner, right? Misty says she'd invite Plato, Eric Nice. I don't know who that is, a dancer apparently. Oh, you don't remember Eric Nice from the very first real world? He got a show on MTV after that. Oh my God. Yeah. And he danced. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Wow. What a, that just, I just traveled back in time there for a second. Yeah. A very <laughs> specific moment in time. Yes. Very. Wow. And Jack Kevorkian, just because she thinks what he does is so brave. <laughs> Plus he was kind of hot when he was young. <laughs> That's interesting, though, that she works in this nursing home. I wonder if she's ever working in any of her patients. I mean, I think they have, in the first season, hinted that she does Yes, Mm -hmm. help people along. She pushes them off that cliff, let's say. (laughs) (laughs) So Crystal gets poop duty again. Do you think the fix is in here? Do you think that they're bullying her? Oh, you thought it was like purposeful when they're drawing cards? I was suspecting if they were forcing her to take that card more multiple times. Uh, first, if we can back up for a second, is this sure. the deck of card that has no queens or are there queens in the stack? I think this is the one that has no queens because I'm assuming they're using the deck that they found right. with the body. And I think that's where they made the reference to the fact that the, the deck has no queens. Okay. Why would they be bullying Crystal? They just find her weird like Misty? They definitely, yeah, they bully them both. They kind of Mm. Or at least mock them behind their, well, even to their faces, not even behind their backs. It hadn't occurred to me, but maybe. It doesn't really matter by the end of this episode. It's moot, yeah. (laughs) So they decide to play not two truths and a lie, but 100 truths and no lies. (laughs) They're just walking along with telling each other their dirtiest secrets. Rapid fire secrets. Just one after the other after the other. Crystal's talking about her limited sexual experience. Misty admits to walking in on her parents and kind of being into it. That's a little creepy. (laughs) (laughs) And then Misty makes the terrible decision to be like, I have found my soulmate. I can tell her anything. I'm the reason we're stuck out here. I smashed the black box. Crystal goes dead cold. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is the kind of thing that you do not come back from. (sighs) Anyway, so Misty tries to backtrack. Right. Tries to play it off like it was a joke. You can't, you can't be that earnest for that. And then just be like, no, 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 Mm -hmm. just kidding. It just doesn't work. doesn't work. I actually thought she was just going to shove her right off the cliff here, be like more cold blooded about this, but she's not actually, she threatens her, she threatens to kill her. Yes. And then actually she falls off. And then once again, I was reading that almost as does Misty feel like, phew, I dodged a bullet, but no, Misty really feels sad about this. She even like climbs down to the bottom of the cliff. Like, (laughs) <laughs> which made me wonder if like she would actually be able to make it back up that cliff or maybe she finds it knows another way around possibly. I was surprised it was that easy for her to get down there. It seemed to yeah. me like something that is with the snow. Yeah. She showed me. <laughs> but even that, just the fact that she would even um, attempt it, right. It meant right. that she, the, <laughs> I did like that. She did the staying alive um, count on the. Yes. 
And I had two very different thoughts in this episode here, and maybe that's intentional. At this moment, when she is overly sharing with this girl and then ends up, in this case, accidentally killing her, but probably had the wherewithal to kill her if push came to shove, no pun intended. <laughs> it did make me worry at this moment for what might be in the cards for Walter. I definitely think in this episode, they were showing the parallel between her relationship yes. mm -hmm. with Kristen, it turns out, yes. mm -hmm. and, right. Correct. and Walter. We see how things ended with Kristen and we see a similar turn of events. I mean, Walter is still alive at the moment, but <laughs> it did seem a little bit bleak for Walter, considering we know what happened last time she felt connected and understood by someone. We'll come back to the girls in the past when we get towards the end of the recap here, but this episode is far more focused on the women in the present day. So Ty and Van are hanging out together. Just like old times. Just like old times. Except when you confess the grim things that you found in your basement. <laughs> exactly. Van suspects that Ty is sleepwalking again. That's why she kind of turned up. There was this very weird sequence in the last episode where she finds that nudie girl pen which is like so yes. old school. I can't remember having seen that in like decades, that whole trick. They drew attention to it by having this very weird camera effect where the camera moves and the pen, you know, with the pen. Uh, and I'm like, wow, that's a weird detail. But it turns out that this is something that her and Van had bonded over in the past. I also thought it was a weird moment in last week's episode. It just seemed like there was going to be some follow-up that didn't come. But yeah, here we have it. It was kind of like a running gag for them, I guess. And they replaced yeah. the pen at Shauna's wedding, the guest book with this one. Aisa starts snooping around. She finds the pain medicine in the bathroom. She thinks Van might be a addict, but it turns out it was Van's mom who lived with her when she was dying of cancer. Van might still be an addict, though. So. It's possible. I like how Van blows up at Thaisa here, and she mixes her pop culture metaphors. <laughs> Thaisa's very judgy about this, calling her out on it. Is this really what you want to be talking about at this point? It was funny, but yes, it seemed like not the focus. And especially the high fidelity reference was very clear, yes, but yes. I feel like people just kind of talk like that now. What's the deal That's with true. whatever? I mean, I understand it originated from Seinfeld, but maybe because it's our time and our era, I feel like right. I would still use that today, not purposefully referencing Seinfeld. <laughs> I think it's more her body motion too. Like it's kind of like the the Seinfeldian, uh, like the okay. arms movement. That's what I think is more of the direct reference to it. But this does finally break the ice between them. And Thaisa does confess everything. Like you mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> I did some crazy sacrifice at the altar in my basement. Dan, as usual, not nearly as alarmed as I feel she should be. Yeah. She seems pretty relaxed about this. I guess it's kind of old hat for her considering what they went through. I don't know if there are like rules for when bad Thaisa comes out. Because right. I was surprised yeah. that bad Thaisa, for lack of a better reference, evil Thaisa, whatever, would let her say all these things and be in this position. Yeah, I don't know if it has control when she's fully uh, awake. I think the reason the uh, bad side of her persona took over in the middle of the day that other time was she because was she was so sleep deprived. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Day sleeping at that point. Good point. I also like what I don't know exactly what the quote is, but I like how Thaisa was saying, like, Van, I don't want to accidentally wake up with my house full of dead loved ones. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that's probably a good motivator. All right. Meanwhile, Callie, we know where she's been hanging out. We suspected this all along. She's hanging out with, what's this detective's name? Matt? This is a very hip bowling alley where they have this 
punk rock band playing. Yes, live music at the bowling alley. Maybe that's a thing now. I haven't been to a bowling alley in a long time. Well, you know what? There's a historic bowling alley down in Asbury Park, which you probably know about. And every year they have a concert down there. It's called All Tomorrow's Parties, which is named after a Velvet Underground song. And every year they have a different celebrity curate it. And they had mm-hmm. one of the band members of Portishead do one just 20 years ago or so. He primarily does like movie soundtracks now. He doesn't, the band's disbanded. They had, I think the the Damned or some punk rock band got back together for this concert. And uh, you can actually find pictures of this. They're performing like on a stage, which is above the bowling alley. And it's all lit up in neon and people are bowling while they're performing. It's pretty, pretty crazy. <laughs> fun. Pretty cool. Yeah, very fun. Gotta be like 10, 15 years ago at this point. But they have it. They still have an annual concert. I like that Callie did not get the Big Lebowski reference. Maybe if she mm-hmm. was her actress, the age she claimed to be, she would. But right. So his name is Jay because that was the reference. Jesus is a no, but he was making a pun on his name. His name is his, Jay. His yeah. supposed name, right? Like, yes. His oh well, name. right. Sorry, I, I didn't realize you were asking about real name versus <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> his fictitious um, hipster persona. There, by the way. So and I get the AMC notifications, like because I have that AMC program, and they sent me a notification. I think like a week or two ago, they're having a special showing the 25th anniversary Sona of the Big Lebowski. That does not feel 25 years old. I'm sorry. Well, I still haven't seen the movie, so (laughs) yes, in my mind it's timeless. (laughs) Right, Um, but I do know a lot of references to the movies just by living my life and hearing them. There's a huge, huge cult following. Yes. Fantastic sweater also featured in the movie. Callie says if she gets a strike, she gets a kiss. But apparently she's only throwing gutter balls, so he thinks he's safe. But she does the old granny roll, and it works. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, "Uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh-oh. I was thinking here for a second, is he going to kiss her? But he's smart enough to be like, man, this is going to, if this comes out in court or something, it's really going to screw up our case. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut. But bad time for him to go to the bathroom because the bill comes. She Googles his name and boom, she realizes that he is a cop. I actually like this little plot device for how she found out. And I like that it happened fairly soon into this whole relationship right. between the two of them. Because when he left, I thought like, well, he hasn't left his cell phone or his wallet right. or whatever. I mean, it had that feel, right? That she was going to go looking for something or looking in something. Right. So this was a, a way I hadn't seen before of someone discovering a secret about somebody. So I appreciated the creativity of it. Maybe she's tried to Google him on Instagram or whatever to find right. a profile for him uh, previously based on his fake name and never found anything. Probably just once again, instigated by this whole interaction with Kit. He won't kiss her. She just wants to just snoop. So, yeah, I did. I did like the way this very natural, the way this all played out. You know, now she knows this and they get into the car later on. He's like, what's wrong? And she's like, oh no, nothing. But he can already tell that there's something going on. And she tries to throw him off by saying, you know, when I told you about my mom having that affair, I found out who she's sleeping with. It's Randy, my dad's best friend. I give Callie credit here. I think she's smarter than I thought. This was a good lie yes. rather than yeah. mm-hmm. trying to say, oh, it turned out I was wrong about her having the right. affair. It was just a misunderstanding. I think this was very sharp of her to just direct the attention to a different real person that was, I mean, somewhat believable. <laughs> right. So yeah, Callie, pretty fast on her feet. And she goes home to tell her parents. Also smart of her to just tell everything at this point. Yes. I also love the two parents diverting responses. She's like, I don't want you to get mad. And Shauna's like, no, 
<laughs> while the dad <laughs> says sure and then when he says uh, i've been hanging out with this cop sean is immediately thinking like uh what kind of questions were they asking you <laughs> and the dad's like how old was he <laughs> yeah i think they both were kind of cycling between pure <laughs> parenting of what is my teenage girl doing and right. wait are you gonna get us arrested shauna decides this is a good cover-up story gets followed that night she just assumes that she's being tailed by the cops goes out to meet with randy at the motel and then i loved it all this interaction between her and randy the most important thing that happens here, of course, is that Randy goes, does this have anything to do with the investigation of Natalie? I was on this boat. Someone was interviewing me, questioning me. And I think that's very important because this is going to be the thing that starts Shauna moving in the direction of ending up at that honey farm with everybody else. Mm -hmm. But this whole thing is hilarious where she's saying, we're just going to hang out for a little bit. Jeff told me that I'm not allowed to touch you at all. <laughs> <laughs> and then Shauna's smart enough to know that someone's going to come and snoop wants to leave behind some evidence that they had sex. So she gives him a condom to masturbate into. And Randy can't even do that, right? <laughs> I felt it was overkill at the time, but it turned out she read the situation properly. Yeah. But I think she would have been better off not doing it, given how everything turns out. <laughs> <laughs> the damn strawberry lube strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> Matt is pretty tenacious about that investigation of the condom. He is really committed. I think most people would just see it and be like, yep, confirmed. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. I would be like, hang on a second. What if that's oh. prop semen? <laughs> I definitely would not have even made that exploration for the fact that you would assume, by the way, even if it was faked out, right, you would just provide the actual material. But like I said, Randy can't even successfully do, do that. Useless once again. <laughs> <laughs> there is some performance anxiety there, of course. So uh, Obviously, these are not ideal circumstances. <laughs> Shona standing outside the door like, are you done yet? Yeah, I mean, maybe she should have just left her underwear behind or something. I don't know. Maybe a little too much information, but Randy's technique here, maybe it's just a sound design, sounded pretty <laughs> painful. <laughs> like, what is he doing now? They're just like yanking or something. <laughs> All right, I want to jump to Misty and Walter, but I want to call out the fact that I'm kind of breaking up the storylines based around characters, but it's interesting that we have Callie and the detective in the car together, and she's obviously lying to him, and he's obviously playing this wooer, this uh, potential boyfriend for her, and that's the charade that's going on there. And we cut directly in that earlier scene to mapped in the same positions in the car and even shot the same way, Walter and Misty. And although, I mean, they're obviously have so many commonalities in their personality, but seeing that direct cut between those two scenes, maybe wonder, is he playing her making this visual correlation to the two of them? That's already been speculated on that that is what he is doing. But then we did have that moment where they were, had the exact same nighttime ritual. Mm -hmm. So it's, maybe it's both things at the same time, right? That they right. are this similar to each other. And yet he is maybe playing a role to entrap her in some way, or at least investigator. I hadn't picked up on that visual correlation. So that's interesting. They start playing two truths and a lie, which is where the title for the episode comes from. He tells her three truths. What do we find out here? He may actually be Barry Manilow's love child. Mm -hmm. He has a goat called Billy mm -hmm. that he used to make cheese, artisanal cheese. And he owns some stock. That was a very bad... That didn't seem that outlandish considering he supposedly has $6 million. Right. In cash. 
more strange was the fact he'd never been to a Taco Bell. Not everything has beans oh, in it at Taco Bell. That's true. Very good point. He tries to pressure Misty into doing the same. She comes up with, she never gets to her third truth, but she says she doesn't like monkeys. <laughs> she thinks that they're asking the wrong questions about the moon landing. Her conspiracy <laughs> theorist side of her. And that's when they find the honey farm, the sign that from the jar in the middle of nowhere, practically. This is on Route 19 North, by the way. So I'm trying to figure out where this would potentially be on the map. I am not super familiar with Route 19. Yeah, it's kind of not, you know, it's not near where we grew up at all. So what'd you think about this? She's giving him a pretty cold shoulder here where she seemed to be warming up to him last time. Do you think, why do you think she's soured on him? Or do you think she's just so dead set on finding Natalie? Yeah, my interpretation was just that she felt he wasn't taking it with adequate seriousness, like the situation that they were in, where right. she said, you know, she was trying to get in the right headspace and focus, and he was kind of treating it as like, oh, road trip. Right. That all tracks. I think that makes sense. Meanwhile, on the farm, Natalie and Lisa have a mirroring session, but they don't actually begin it because when Natalie notices that Lottie's there as well, she's like, I'm going to take this opportunity to keep trying to open that door with these keys, which she got interrupted with earlier as well. It seems like every time she's trying to do her little <laughs> key thing, she gets interrupted by somebody. But Natalie has finally changed her clothes. I so. was going to say the exact same thing. She's starting to add a little <laughs> purple to her collection. Yes. And then just as she's about to sneak out, make another quick trip to the lodge to try to open it with the keys, she gets interrupted again because, of course, we know Misty and Walter have arrived. Mm-hmm. This whole interaction between the two of them is very funny because you realize that, first of all, she's annoyed that he she brought Walter. She calls him one of the Hardy Boys. But we also find out some things here that, for example, Lottie was institutionalized in Switzerland. I don't remember if we knew already that it was overseas or if it had been, or if we mm. had assumed it was somewhere in the US. Yeah, I'm not sure if we knew that. I love the line reading here where Misty goes, you mean the one who was institutionalized in Swi Switzerland? <laughs> and she's like, yes, Misty, that." Lottie, but it's like just su such an annoyed reaction. Like, like who else could I possibly be talking about? And she says, I've not been abducted. Well, I kind of was abducted at one point, right? but now I'm here. I'm here on my own volition. She's trying to help me reflect or whatever. <laughs> and you and your Heidi Bork can, uh, can like leave. And Elijah Wood, as she walks away, says, she seems nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Walter decides to be like, well, I get that sounds like, you know, it's probably the end of the line here. We can head back home. Misty's not taking no for an answer, coming up with a conspiracy as to why she's actually there. She obviously needs to be broken out anyway. And she's also very upset that be like, how did I not know Lottie was this close? Accentuates, I kept tax on, tabs on everybody, everybody, mm -hmm. and somehow completely missed Lottie, which is interesting to think about because why wouldn't she have known about Lottie being there? It doesn't seem like it would be that hard to track. Yeah. And where did she think Lottie was? If she's actually keeping track of her, exactly. Then where did she think she was? And I will say, just as an aside, I am seeing a lot of great connections generally between the younger actresses and the grown-up versions of the actresses. I think it's much stronger than it was in the first season, or maybe I'm more familiar with the characters than I was in the first season. Like I saw it with Misty this week, for sure. But the oh, young yeah. Lottie, grown-up Lottie, I'm not getting that connection as much. I agree. Unfortunately, they both have to play like they are wrestling these internal demons. So I think it's a hard role to have to play to add that character detail to. Mm. 
I mean, what they are both doing in tandem is being basically afraid of what their powers might be. But that is kind of like very one note compared to, like you said, like Misty, I think is great. The, and that was the case even in season one. I think the mm-hmm, correlation mm-hmm. between the two Misties, yeah. there's like full continuity between those two characters. I feel like they should have picked some sort of body language or cadence of speech or something to tie the characters together a little bit more clearly. Misty then uh, keeps going down this rabbit hole saying, well, she's obviously being indoctrinated. <laughs> you know, this is cult 101. You have to separate your people from their friends. True. But Walter at the same time starts to push back on like, why are you so fixated on this? And I'm not sure this is when I would bring up this conversation, but he circles the conversation back to the whole Adam situation mm-hmm. and then starts to push there. Oh, and uh, we do find out that, as you had pointed out in an earlier conversation, that when uh, Misty comes up with that story about her interest in the Adam story, that we saw Elijah Wood, very good performance on his behalf. You can read his face as being like, oh, she just lied to me right there. And he Mm. calls her out on it here as well. And he starts to think that maybe Misty is involved with some of these murders. Here's the second read I had on here, or maybe it's a continuation of the previous read. But the fact that he seems to be saying to her, you can tell me if you are, I like you and I'll accept you either way. Now I'm starting to think, and maybe I'm being cynical about this, but now I'm starting to think that he might be like one of these fanboys and he has a theory that she's a killer. You know, he talked about being the Moriarty to her Mm -hmm. Sherlock Holmes. How did you read this whole entire scene here as they're breaking up? It was hard to know, but I mean, I do think they have established that certain people are like a little bit obsessed with the whole yellow jackets Right. Mythology. And it's totally believable to me that he could be one of those people and doing a deep dive on some of their theories. I feel like their relationship has a lot of layers. (laughs) Yes. I really (laughs) did want it to be just a happy relationship. I would be a little disappointed if it turns out he's like a serial killer and he's looking for like a serial killer girlfriend. You know what I mean? Like if it was one of those type of things, I, I don't think I wanted to go that route. I'd rather than be like these two weirdos that have a romantic relationship and they're a really good match, and it probably will end horribly, but that's okay. Until then, I, I, I want, that's what I want to see. Yeah, as long as it's not like that Dexter thing where they were both serial killers. Oh, yes, and, that's know, what I thought. That was awful. Exactly. exactly. And she leaves. She says, I'm staying. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm your ride. She says, I'll figure it out. And we kind of already know even then, even before the end of the episode, that that means she's going to stay there because I think it's pretty clear even early in the episode that they are all headed back They're having a reunion. It's the class reunion. (laughs) 25 years, right? (laughs) So towards the end of the episode here, Natalie thinks she has a gotcha moment. She finally got no interruptions. She got into that cabin. She did her exploration of everything in there. Lottie has their records. She has information about them, their personal histories, their bank accounts, everything. And she says, aha, I got you. See, you're a big scammer, which is what Natalie wants to believe, of course. And all the people in there are like, we handed over that information of our own accord. And then Lottie says she wants to clear the room. She wants to be with Natalie alone, wanting to find out what Travis's final words to her mean. What did Natalie know? One last thing I want to call out near the end here where Kevin and Matt are investigating that room and finding the condom that was left behind. And I think this is another thing that might be important here. Now they realize Callie had told the mom what was going on. That's what led to this whole scene, obviously. But Matt is committed on like not giving up this line of questioning, but how can he use... Callie to manipulate the mom back. So that's, I think that is going to pay off in some way in the future. Right. With him saying, you know, she's smart, but I'm smarter. Which could be his downfall here. In the past, approaching the end here, we see Shauna and Thaisa are out. She's 
arguing with Thaisa. You were supposed to be on my side. You're now with these cult members, basically, Lottie's cult. Thaisa's defending herself that she's just doing it to you know, get along. She's doing it for Van, and it's also helping her. For some reason, she doesn't know exactly why, but it is helping her. And during this argument, Shauna starts having labor pains, and also, simultaneously, this wind comes in, and mm -hmm. it's like an instant storm in the middle of the day. This is also the moment where Misty has climbed all the way to the bottom of the mountain, just as the storm arrived, trying to resuscitate Crystal, too late. And the girls start communing with nature. They're doing what they did before, listening to the wind and calling out. And Shauna is listening to this as well and is following these messaging. And I mean, I know you don't want to hear this, Shauna, because <laughs> you don't like the supernatural aspects of this show. But this definitely is starting to lean on the side that they are somehow communing through nature with each other. But way more importantly is in the present day, something is obviously directing them back together, right? There's a like very different confluence of circumstances that are pushing them all to be together at that compound. I, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I understand your point. Before Sean and Thaisa have found their way back to the cabin, Misty has already returned and is using the storm as an excuse for Crystal's disappearance. I'm sure she'll direct them to the body later for snacks. <laughs> right. So maybe the living people have a little bit of extra time now that <laughs> there is a and new the, dead body in town. And the thaw, the thaw has come as well. So it's uh, that the other animals should start showing up sooner or later, non-human animals. Speaking of human animals, Javi does speak just momentarily to Ben, just a few words. That's all he gives him. And he says he didn't come back because his friend, she told him not to come back. I was going to say, now we know that there were other people out there, but who knows? It could be another vision he had, another voice he heard. But I do think these are actual people out there, don't you think? Okay, so here's a thought that just occurred to me. Sure. Mm, probably, but could it be Evil Chaisa? And maybe that's why he's keeping his mouth shut, because she's there. Let's say that she had threatened him under this other persona, and now she's like there. So he's like, should I say anything? Am I allowed to say anything? It's actually not a bad theory. Because Van did start going with her at some point, but it seemed yeah. like there were also times that she was just out there on her own. And Van, I don't know, is a very sound sleeper? Didn't question it? I'm not sure. <laughs> but who was cutting her ties? Someone was cutting them. Were they I cut or were they just untied? No, they were cut. Hmm. That's what's so strange about it. That's what I'm pretty certain somebody was doing it. But, but the fact that he is being completely silent. It's kind of annoying at this point. It's like, I know you were silent before <laughs> dealing with dad's loss and everything. But at this point, it's like, if there are people out there, like I was, you know, like there's, there's like a mall underground, like literally like the one that um, Lottie saw earlier. And it's like, yeah, I had a buffet every single night while I was down there. It's like keeping that under wraps is probably not a great idea. Then again, if it's like one person and that person's like paranoid and sheltered and saying we have only enough for them to survive, maybe you don't want to uh, throw them under the bus. So I don't know. I can see both sides, but it is a little irritating that he refuses to have any communication, not even with Travis. I mean, I was kind of thinking like maybe he needs a pen and paper. Maybe would he write it down? Has someone tried that? Can you mime it to us? <laughs> <laughs> Let's play charades. Exactly. Three words. Sounds like... <laughs> Cannibal. <laughs> <laughs> Three syllables. I also thought, interesting, by the way, that Misty, I, of course, she wasn't going to tell the truth about what happened with Kristen, Crystal, but I thought she might just say we were at the edge of the cliff and she yeah. slipped. Like, yeah. it was interesting that she distanced it from herself that much that, oh, we got separated. I didn't know what happened to her. 
she could still kind of do that because she can say the storm rolled in. We weren't together. She threw the poop off over this cliff. And then, you know, she would be at the bottom of the cliff and they'd be like, oh, she fell off the cliff. Right. Like, so there's probably ways she can still be, you know, it doesn't have to play totally dumb. Like, I have no idea yeah. how she came over here or whatever. Right. So. Uh, she just probably wants to give herself a little more distance. Just admitting that she was standing next to her when she slipped might just be too close to the truth in a way. So. Maybe. And of course, then Shauna and Thaisa have made it back. Baby's on the way. In the present, speaking of Thaisa, we see Van in the middle of the night. Evil Thaisa or other Thaisa, whatever we want to call her, is in control. Kisses Van, right? Mm-hmm. And Van's like, oh, where did this come from? Right. She figures it out immediately. It's you, isn't it? And once again, not very disturbed by this turn of events. Seriously. And speaking of things, driving them all to the same location, Evil Thaisa back in control saying, this is not where we're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. We know where they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be with Lottie. Near the very end of the episode, of course, we have the hypnosis session between Lottie and Natalie. She's remembering her last time with Travis. They started getting high. She had some kind of uh, overdose episode. He calls the paramedics. And as she's coming to, she's having flashes of something, and she warns him that there was something out there with us, something evil. She has a vision, uh, uh, by the way, of them all dying on the plane, not surviving, which is interesting that she has this vision. Lottie seems very interested in that version of reality also. There was something there. It was there with us, and we brought it back. Very importantly, we brought it back. Mm -hmm. Also interesting that the way she describes this, that it came back with us or in us. It could be something that was to go to the idea of a non-supernatural explanation, that this is something within them that was revealed while they were out there, and it's still with them now. You could read that that way. Once again, the fact that somehow, if Misty didn't know that Lottie was in New Jersey, then how would Thaisa have figured it out somehow magically? You know, any kind of question mark that she's not ending up there or Shauna's not ending up there is given away by the preview for next week, right? Which shows them all lined up. Mm. All right, a couple of questions for you. We're in the middle of the season, so I want to get your kind of temperature check on where you are with the season. Also, what you might expect from the rest of the season and just some of those scenes. We see all the main characters, the ones we've met here on the show, lining up there in that scenes at the end. But wouldn't we assume, and hopefully the show is smart enough to do this, if they're being drawn together, shouldn't we see even other girls that we may, may not have even seen adult versions of popping up also. They might take longer because they might be thousands of miles away, not like an hour drive away like these girls are. But you would assume to see more of them, no? Hmm. I would have to go um, rewatch the preview scene, but I didn't question it at the time that I saw it. I don't know. Interesting point. Other things we see in those coming attractions is Shauna gets questioned by the cops, but she does seem to make it to the compound so that they don't have her detained or anything. Then again, they don't have any proof anyway, so what would they detain her on? And we do see her briefly there with the other girls or the other women at the compound, which, of course, we already knew that the thing that's probably going to trigger her investigation is Randy saying, speaking about the investigation, which I'm sure is going to be uh, into Natalie's disappearance. And I'm sure she's going to ask questions about what happened to Natalie. And maybe she'll just call Misty on the phone or something. And Misty's mm. going to be like, here's where I am. <laughs> Come and meet up with I've been trying us. to call you for months. Exactly. You've been ignoring me. Now yes. all of a sudden, Shauna's curious about where she is. I mean, it's pretty much it. We see the baby coming and we see the girls or more of them re reuniting at Lottie's compound. And what is going to happen in those circumstances, we don't know. Is the baby going to survive the birth? 
I would guess yes. Are the girls going to have some kind of confrontation with this evil force? I think that will probably happen towards the end of the season. That's my guess. Oh, I wanted to point out also just one moment. Lottie and Natalie are having those final moments, right? The shadow with the antlers. Did you pick up on that? Yeah, absolutely. which is nicely done, I thought. Although with Lottie, we never know if she's just off her meds or (laughs) actually legitimately. It's always a combination of both things, I think. Um, I am very interested to see what's going on with this baby. From being a little bit lukewarm on it for the first couple of episodes, you know, first of all, the cannibalism thing. And then, you know, you and I had discussed that the the season premiere didn't have like the usual draw that a season premiere has. Right. So I just wondered, is this just going to be the tone of the show this season? Because I don't, you know, it wasn't my favorite thing I've seen. But I right. think these last couple of episodes have been really good, have kept me really interested So I am excited to see how all of these plot lines develop and connect. You know, I remain more interested in the present day than the past. And I remain less interested in the supernatural aspect of this, which seems like it's going to be kind of unavoidable pretty soon to confront the supernatural part head on. But nonetheless, I am interested and I am enjoying it. How about you? Yeah, no, I am enjoying it. I think that the I had the same of the same qualms early in the season. Uh, I don't have as many issues with the supernatural mythology. For me, honestly, like I remember, I'm going to keep making this comparison to Lost when the mythology got really, really heavy with that show. Eventually, I just dropped off of that show. But mm. even even before then, I was still engaged in season two and three, and people were getting more and more and more invested in the mythology. And I was just like, I just want to find out the trauma from their backstories, the the way they try to repair that in the present, the way they they can't overcome it to build new relationships. That was what was interesting to me about Lost. It wasn't as much about what does this whole mythology mean? And then, I mean, I'm glad I didn't invest in that because the payoff was terrible in my opinion. Right. I actually don't mind that they uh, like this level of the mythology. And I also can imagine ways where in my mind, it can be satisfying. Like I could imagine that the girls have some kind of ritual here at the compound when they're all together and they could think that they have somehow uh, exercised this thing. Speaking of like Rosemary's baby, which of course doesn't happen, but you know, this whole idea of like having an exorcism of this demon. And then, um, and then that could still set things up for next season because maybe they, it's like a false flag that, they, that it doesn't actually create the result that they expect, but that women could kind of have a reprieve where they think things are better. And, uh, but you could also read that metaphorically as that that is still just that exercising of this demon is really just them trying to exercise this trauma from their past. So it still is close enough where it doesn't, I don't find it that distracting, although I'm pretty certain it is now. I don't think the show can go back and say, these are all just totally, you know, it's all happening in their heads at this point. It's like, really? Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. there's just way too much to explain there. So we'll see how that all turns out next week. And Sona, thank you again for the conversation. Thank you. And we will talk very soon about Succession, another exciting episode coming.